Welcome to From the Heart with Daniel Groom, he, him, and Don Lister, she, her. A podcast from Anahata Yoga Centre, where we hold insightful, healing, and nurturing conversations with inspiring people from healing yoga and well-being communities. Enjoy our podcast. This is Dawn Lister, she, her. Together with Daniel Groom, he, him, and our guest today, Gabby Parkham, she, her. Welcome everybody to today's podcast. Gabby is a yoga teacher and an LGBTQIA plus equity educator and consultant. I'm really excited to find out what that means. Gabby is from Brighton and is newly married. Congratulations. Thank and, you. And you have done something really cool with your name, Gabby. Tell us what that is. Yeah, so my name was Gabby Markham um, and my partner's name was Peters. And so rather than kind of picking one or the other or double barreling, we decided to kind of smush them together. So we've gone for Parkham. Um, but I'm a bit worried this is going to create loads of confusion because I'm still in various ways online and with kind of work stuff, sometimes Gabby Markham and I'm moving towards Gabby Parkham. So I'm trying to let everyone know I'm the same person <laughs> um, and try not to confuse people too much. I love it. I've, I mean, we had these conversations with my husband and I when we got married about I wrote, I said, you can take my name if you like. I'm not taking your name. You know, we are not living in a patriarchal, well, we are living in a patriarchal society. We flipping well shouldn't be. But we, we're moving out, hopefully, and becoming more educated about, you know, equality. And um, I kind of was like, I feel almost as if we should find a new name that is that says something about us. But um, yeah. We didn't so we just we both have our own names we've just kept them and worked that way but i like this it feels really um it feels creative actually it feels quite a creative thing to do so i think you're setting a trend thanks it felt like a nice way of honoring both of our names um yeah 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 absolutely and, so, and also i think as well it's kind of like this is the new generation of you two mm yeah and traditionally you know that that it was always driven by the man's name wasn't it and you know what we're going to talk about today is a lot about actually dismantling that patriarchal rules and regulations that we have all over the world so I, I think it's a very positive thing me and my husband just kept our names because we just couldn't be bothered with all the admin <laughs> <laughs> It's expensive. It's really expensive to change your name, your passport, your driver license, all of that business. It costs a flipping fortune, as you will know, Gabby. I'm sure you're probably in the process of doing it all at the minute. We haven't started yet, and I'm like, I just I've been putting it off because <laughs> I can't be bothered. No, no, don't blame you. So, Daniel, how are you? What have you been up to this week? I am very well, thank you, Dawn. Um, had a lovely weekend away with some friends at a country house near Bath um, and had a few late nights, so in the process of recovering. But um, Sunday night, I, I got home and my husband had cooked his dinner and we had the amazing opportunity to sit down and watch um, everybody's talking about Jamie, which um, has been turned into a film. And oh, I, I literally cried for two hours from start to end because it's about a young boy um, who is 
openly queer and has chosen to go to the school ball in a dress and he gets told that he can't go. And it's about the story of actually breaking down that stigma around well, why can't he go as who he wants to be, you know, um, and, and the school's reactions to it. Um, and yeah, it just, it, it touched a very raw nerve within me. I've seen it three times on stage and then once as a film and yeah, literally was a blubbering wreck the whole way through. <laughs> but it was just, I just think it's such a wonderful film, wonderful story. I just love everything about it. <laughs> Not many people know, I think, but my background was musical theatre. And back when I was training at university, um, a whole group of my friends went and did a really early kind of cast recording or not really a cast recording but a recording of all the music for everybody's talking about Jamie um, and we had no idea at the time how big and amazing it would be but it popped up on Facebook the other day this photo that all of them took uh, after like recording this new interesting musical um, and it was just a really interesting moment to see that journey of how the show has flourished and just been amazing. Yeah, I was the 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 the, um, the person that wrote most of the musical score, Dan Gillespie Sells. Um, I've listened to quite a few podcasts with him on, and it's just phenomenal. Like the the people have took this story on because it's a story that's relevant in every single corner of our globe that people are forced to live a life that they don't want to live because of rules and regulations and you know the way that our our world is set up and it's been distributed now to asia to america to australia it's you know it's got a complete life of its own this story now and i just think it's amazing that it's about a, a sheffield kid and it's actually a true story so there was a documentary about jamie and his mum who they followed over this period of, of him going to prom and you know what an amazing thing that you know it's a true story and so many people have been inspired by it and so many people really you know have been touched by it in some way or another. We're supposed to go and see it Daniel at the theatre remember we need to get that sorted out now we're allowed to leave the house and go about our business. Well do you know the irony of it was Dawn I was going to get us tickets and then because the film's come out they've withdrawn the show from the West End because I think they're, they're going to change some of it and then they're going to put it back in next year again because actually they said while the film's out and they're doing a they're doing a UK tour of the West End stage show at the mm. moment I did look to see if it was in South End, but it's not. Yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but um, yeah, I thought, why don't we wait until they've kind of rehashed it again? Because the amazing thing that they did with the film, they've brought it, they've brought in more historical and political things around um, LGBTQIA people's past. So it, it, it talks about the AIDS crisis um it, it also um touches on a few other historical things as well that and it's actually got people from those moments that are in the film so like us if you've been around a while and you sort of you know you know that community we were like oh there's that person oh there's that person oh you know we know them and actually it's very sad because it is you know it is about the AIDS crisis that they're 
they're documenting, but actually lovely to have brought old queer people into it as well. <laughs> well I'm so excited. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I saw it was on um, TV the other day and I nearly watched it, but I know that I'm gonna be a blubbering mess. So I, I'm saving it to a day where I feel I've got the emotional reserves. <laughs> it's going to be good. Okay, I want to ask you both something. So you used the word queer a minute ago, Daniel, and I introduced Gabby with LGBTQIA+. Can you explain how that works? Which yeah, one should I be absolutely. using? Absolutely. So, so, and Gabby will step in and help me because she's probably actually a lot better at explaining this, but I'll give it a go. <laughs> but the, the acronym LGBTQIA plus um, has been a growing set of words and, and, and descriptions of people that fit under that umbrella. So L is for lesbian, G is for gay, B is for bisexual, T is for trans. Q has a few different meanings, i.e. could be queer, could be questioning sexuality or, or their, their binary. Um, I relates to an intersex person. Um, and A has a couple of different meanings. Again, it could mean asexual or could mean ally. There's a plus because those acronyms keep growing as more and more people describe and discover who they are as individuals. So it might be, oh, I don't fit into what's currently boxes are there. So I need to add another one on the end. The only thing I would change is I wouldn't include ally under the A. I would use A for asexual, aromantic, maybe agender, but actually, Allies are amazing and important, but I wouldn't include them under the umbrella personally, but it is one that's a bit debated. Um, but yeah, queer is often used, and I think increasingly being used almost as a synonym in some way for LGBTQIA+, and you know, there's more letters that I could add to that acronym easily, but it's not a term that everyone likes. So, I really love it for myself and I like to use it, but I tend not to use it for my work because I know it is a word that has been used to harm and still does harm a lot of people within our community. And I, you know, for me, I, I was one of those people that grew up in that generational time when the word queer was used as something to offend somebody who didn't fit into the kind of the, the heteronormative world that you know we all live in. So I personally, through the work that I've done with Gabby and some other people as well, have really kind of reclaimed the word queer for myself because actually now I love to call myself a queer person, um, but I would have hated it a couple of years ago. So, you know, for me, there's been a revolution. And, but for many people, that word is a really tough word. Mm -hmm. Hence why how, we use it liberally. <laughs> how would I, how would I, and maybe you want to talk about this later, I don't know, but how would I, you, well, how would I know what word to use without offending somebody? Because I know, Daniel, you often say to people, just ask, but sometimes people don't want to be asked, actually. They kind of bristle, do you know, it can be, or maybe that's my perception. What, how, how would you go about using the correct phrase? 
I usually say to either say what you know about the person or use the language that they use have they've used to describe themselves so if you know that someone is married to a man rather than trying to guess potentially what label or what identity that person holds what you can say is oh they're married to a man or they're married to this person um or if you've heard language that someone's used about themselves then you can repeat that back and you're right it, it depends sometimes it's really appropriate to ask and sometimes it's not so there's sort of I guess, an element of judgment and, and how well you know that person mm -hmm. about whether that would be appropriate or not. No, I think I think what's also, you know, becoming much more apparent as as the sort of the, the growth of those LGBTQIA plus acronym continues to be expanded upon, actually many people don't necessarily fit into one box because as human beings we love to put someone in a box I want to label you as this person or I want to identify you as this way but actually I've through my own exploration over the last couple of years I've actually realized that the word gay for me felt quite threatening and felt didn't really describe who I was and it wasn't until I started to really open my remit around who am I that then I started to realise actually gay doesn't doesn't serve me as a as a as a as a person. I'm more comfortable with I've been identified as pansexual. So then that may confuse people because they might be well you've got a husband therefore you're gay. But actually for me my sexuality is beyond someone else's gender it's actually about being attracted to a person yeah and my experiences i tend to use the label bi bisexual and i my kind of my whole life when i've been dating different people if someone sees me walking around with a man they assume i'm straight if someone sees me walking around with a woman they assume i'm gay and i and and that felt really invalidating that by erasure of whoever I was in a relationship with I was always assumed wrongly in some way um and um yeah that's been something that I've had to kind of learn to play with and grow through I guess I was just gonna actually pick up on something you just said Gabby so you described yourself as gay <laughs> which is even more confusing for people because they're like because people are oh well, gay is normally associated with a man, but actually many women identify themselves as gay and many queer people also identify themselves as gay in certain contexts as well. So it's that kind of, that language that we quite quite used to using for someone from the outside world might be like, oh, I'm really confused. You've just used like four different ways to describe yourself. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't use gay to describe myself. Right, but if yeah. I was um walking down the street kissing or holding hands with someone who other people perceived to be a woman, they might assume that I was either gay or a lesbian and those words can be used interchangeably. Um yeah. but that would be incorrect because I'm bisexual. So can I ask a question? So this is um a conversation I have heard many times and specifically actually within the yoga community um so 
somebody perhaps who would consider themselves to be is the right word straight or is it cis or how what's the right word what am i supposed to use what are you so cisgender would be someone who identifies as what they were assigned at birth so if you were born and the doctor or the midwife says it's a girl and you identify as a woman then you'd be cisgender straight so or heterosexual is to do with your attraction or sexuality and who you date okay so conversations with people who are straight or heterosexual um who will say as yoga teachers where we've had these conversations they'll say i just treat everybody the same i don't need to worry about names or being inclusive because i already am inclusive i don't mind in inverted commas which says a lot i don't mind um, what people are i'm just going to treat them all the same and I kind of sort of understand where that's coming from, because hopefully in our practice as teachers and in our personal practice, we are allowing for everybody to be who they are without judgment. But there's a lot more that needs to be unpacked about that. I feel I feel like actually by have by having that view, perhaps we don't create a safe space for people to be to express themselves and to be held safely in a class. I, I don't know that I, I, I need some I need. I need to unpack this a bit more. What would you say about that? To me, it sounds a little bit similar to the um, I don't see skin colour kind yeah. of thinking. Um, yes, of course, we should be treating everyone the same, but our society is not set up to do that. And we're all we've all been conditioned not to do that. And I think as someone who is cisgender and straight or heter heterosexual, um, you probably have some blind spots and might not notice what you could be doing in a class that might not feel comfortable for an LGBTQIA plus person walking in. And that if that's not malicious, it doesn't mean you're a bad person, but I think um, you don't know what you don't know. Um, and it sometimes takes a little bit of learning about things that could be quite small and subtle, but could potentially feel huge to that person walking into your space. So even something like, does the, the place where you teach your yoga classes have gender neutral toilets would be a really easy one that you might not even notice until someone asks for it. But that would make the difference between whether someone who's trans or non-binary might feel comfortable coming to your yoga class. Okay. Go on, Daniel. I was just going to say, I think that probably leads us into asking Gary to talk around the work that you've been doing within um, the yoga communities because as a as a person who identifies as queer I've been in yoga classes where I've been made to feel unrecognized or uncomfortable around language that has been used and that language for me has normally been around assumptions of people's heteronormativity. <laughs> so you see that person, therefore you identify them. They look like a man, therefore they are a man. They look like a woman, therefore they are a woman. They look like a man, therefore they are a man, therefore they have genitals, therefore they fit into that box and the same with the woman. And the wonderful work that Gabby's been doing is to kind of like, okay, let's throw those two ideas outside and look at all the other acronyms 
And how would you address the potential of someone who fits under that LGBTQIA umbrella in your class? How would you deal with them <laughs> or work with them? How would you make them feel safe? And Gabby, that's that's where we really met, wasn't it? I came to one of your yoga, how to, oh, you explain it. What do you, what, what do you call the course? <laughs> so I used to call it um, LGBT plus inclusion in yoga. And now I've changed it to welcoming LGBT plus people in yoga, because I'm not a huge fan of the term inclusion. Um, and that is uh, a three hour workshop for yoga teachers and also other movement teachers and wellness professionals um, that really dives into all of these things. So we look at the whole acronym. We spend about an hour just talking about terminology and identities and what it all means. And there's lots of times for kind of questions and discussion. Um, we look at some of the history and also experiences of LGBTQIA plus people, mostly based in the UK, but because all of this has been through COVID and on Zoom, I've had a really international audience. So it's been amazing to, you know, we're all there with our phones and go, oh, cool. so what, what's it like in America? What's the different statistic there? Um, and have a bit of comparison, which has been really interesting. We look at kind of really practical tools about how you can make yoga classes and yoga studios feel more welcoming and that's really a, a kind of pooling of, of ideas so as daniel probably remembers it, it's not much it's not me lecturing for three hours it's really interactive and everyone brings ideas to the table and we kind of share and then we finish with um, a whole section about allyship and what you can do not only in your classes and in, in your communities but kind of in the world to make it a, a safer and more welcoming and more celebratory space for LGBTQIA plus people. So the first time that I met Gabby um, was on one of these courses. And would you say 50% of the people identified as LGBTQIA plus? At least, <laughs> I think, yeah. So Gabby and I kind of were chatting after and I said I, I think we need an LGBTQIA yoga teacher forum or way and you were like yeah I've been thinking about this for a while <laughs> so then Gabby went on to produce this mentoring group that um, I had the actual amazing opportunity to be part of and it was just for LGBTQIA plus people who are yoga facilitators, teachers, yoga therapists, to be able to come together. And I'll let Gabby explain a little bit more about kind of <laughs> what the format was and how it worked. Yeah, it was amazing. And it was really that, that the people coming to this workshop, I was, I, I hadn't really aimed it specifically at people who are LGBTQIA+. I'd really kind of aimed it more as allies. Um, and I realised because so many people were coming to it, that there was clearly a need for something some sort of support or community or education so i spent a, a couple of months kind of talking to the people who'd come talking to the people that i'd been connecting to and i kind of pulled out that there were two elements that people were searching for one was the sort of community and mentoring and, and sharing and support and the other was specific education um and i think because as someone who is 
LGBTQIA plus in some way, often you're then more drawn to supporting that community. Um, but of course, you only have your own one experience. So kind of learning about other people's experiences and how to support the wider community. So the course um, became a sort of six month program where we'd meet every month. I had, <clears throat> excuse me, four amazing teachers. Um, so Daniel did an amazing workshop. Uh, Tristan Katz did a workshop. Pooja Varani did a workshop and Avery Kalapa did a workshop. Um, and then the, we also put everyone into little small groups to kind of do peer mentoring. And I, I gave some little kind of trigger questions and nuggets and ideas throughout that to facilitate the conversation. Um, and it was amazing. It, it was a huge journey. It's completely changed how I teach and how I work um, I, I, because I, I really wanted to be part of it. It wasn't me facilitating and telling everyone what to do at all. Like it was really communal and peer led. Um, so I don't know, I can't speak for anyone else who was on the course, but I've made friends for life through it and it's completely changed how I relate to yoga and yoga teaching and my job. In what way would you say it's changed how you relate to your teaching and your job? What you, A few things you said there indicated that something shifted for you and somebody who's an educator and is very much part of the community. Um, I'm interested to see how, how things changed for you through doing this training that you were leading yourself. I think, I mean, I learned a lot from the workshops. I deliberately picked four workshops with four amazing teachers that I wanted to learn from. Um, so I learned a lot through those. Um, I also, in I was in a mentoring group with Daniel and one other person. And although I'd picked what the kind of topics were each month, I guess I'd also picked things that I was interested in. So it helped me to kind of really drill down to what's important in my teaching, where I want to focus, because I've trained in lots of different styles and I teach lots of different things. And I was starting to feel quite a bit of a jack of all trades and a bit drained from trying to do everything. So it's really helped me to focus in on what's the most important for me, not only in terms of the types of yoga that I teach or the people that I teach, but also the way that I teach. Um, and yeah. So, so other than you finding out more about what drives you and where you want to put your energy, what specifically became different in your classes and in your interaction with other people that it makes you feel it's, it's become more inclusive and empowering? Um, well, firstly, I changed some of the classes that I teach. So I've um, changed the way I talk about my yoga. I've changed uh, one of my classes so it's now no longer yoga and I'm bringing in aspects of dance and other movements that I've done previously. Um, I, I thought a lot about um, cultural appropriation, partly through that course and also um, through doing some studying with Susanna Barkataki um, and thinking about what it means as someone who is white to teach and share yoga. Um, and I think the other aspect that it really pulled out for me was consent and how we can give our students agency and autonomy and the ability to actually consent in a yoga class. Um, and I know those things don't sound like 
they're necessarily related to being LGBTQIA+, but um, for me, all anti-oppression work is interconnected. And as soon as I start unpicking a bit of anti-racism work, then it, it, it leads on to something else. It leads on to trauma. It leads on to all these, uh, you know, class and um, it's all interconnected. I, I can't do um, work to support the LGBT plus community with all, without also looking at all those other areas. I, get, I guess it's fair to say um, that when when you look at oppression and to unpick oppression anywhere, you unpick oppression everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so definitely. Daniel, I can see you wanted to jump in there. What were you? I, I, I was just going to share my experience of both, you know, Gabby very kindly offering a, a space for me to be able to, you know, explore mental health with the participants of the course, because actually, you know, for me, yoga and mental health are come hand in hand and have been yoga has been one of the main tools that I've used to help manage and understand my mental health and you know that was me putting a teacher hat on and kind of you know just presenting the stuff that I know and love and share regularly but actually to be able to sit on the other side of that and for me it's been the first time ever within a yoga space where I've been just with other LGBTQIA plus people and it felt really liberating it felt really um confirming to me that I'd I'd been missing this for 20 years of my yoga practice and I started a LGBTQIA plus yoga group with South End Pride and South End Transpire. And it wasn't until doing Gabby's course that it made me realize just how important that work is to be providing a space for people like me and like Gabby to be able to come and be heard and not be judged by someone else that understands what it's like to be in our skin or has some idea to be in our skin. And from that, it actually allowed me to really break down this whole idea around not really feeling comfortable around be, me being gay and actually how did I want to label myself. So I had a massive transition through these six months. And that was all because of being put together with these other people and being allowed to really express myself in a way that I knew I could, where I felt uncomfortable in other more cis or heteronormative spaces. So what you're saying is being with people who had had similar experiences to you felt validating and gave you enough safety to explore your mental health, your relationship with your yoga practice, all of it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think the work that I'm trying to do now is allowing my myself through my social media and the platforms that I have to be able to speak from it's about saying this is me in my totality I'm not hiding anything from you anymore I'm not going to pretend that I have these things hidden away this this is me because actually I realized by doing that then I will attract other people who need to hear 
or need to be part of something exactly you know what Gabby did for me yeah and actually hearing you say that I hadn't even realized that up until even two or three years ago I'd kept a lot of my kind of LGBT plus activism separate from my yoga teaching and I went in I was just a yoga teacher I taught my class and I left and actually it's only through kind of this process since the pandemic moving cities that I've set up all of my new yoga classes with the the fullest of who I am as at the forefront um I don't know if my I've been teaching yoga for seven years I don't think the the people that I was, te was teaching in classes four or five years ago they had no idea that I'm queer and and now I don't think you could if you looked at anything that I'm doing online if you've come to my classes it's very obvious because I talk about it all the time <laughs> and for me the, what that has what that has done because I would say our experiences are very similar and parallel in that way is by me being honest about who I am yes I've got a few more queer people in my yoga classes however I've also got a lot of heteronormative and cis people in my classes who just feel really comfortable around being around someone that actually is owning their shit <laughs> and isn't scared of who they are <laughs> you know and that for me is what yoga is about it's about liberation it's about freeing yourself from those bondages and those shackles that we put on ourselves and society puts upon us and to allow yourself to be the best version of who you can be and I think what you've said there is perfect, that both of those spaces are really important. Like it's really important to have spaces that with people who share your identity, where only people who share that identity, whatever kind of marginalized identity is, that it's just you. And it's also really important to have spaces where you can feel proud and be out in spaces that welcome everyone. And I think a lot of people who come to the workshop ask, well, which is it? Should should classes be more inclusive or should you have LGBT plus classes? And the answer is both. Mm. Both of those spaces are really important, at least at this point. Maybe in 100 years it'll be different, but for now. And Gabby, do you want to just talk a little bit more around, you know, a, a, a class that is a public class rather than an LGBTQIA specific class? You know, from a teacher facilitating that class and allowing an LGBTQIA person to feel heard and welcomed in that class. What are some of the touch points that you cover in your three hour course that you do to, you know, get people to almost take away and have realizations about? Mm, yeah. Um, the first thing that I say to people is you have to do the inner work first. I think often people are really keen to like put it on their website and say that their classes are really inclusive and actually I, I personally think it's really important to do the work first of educating yourself. Um, that could be coming to my workshop, but there are loads of other amazing teachers who are running similar workshops. Um, LA, the trans yoga teacher, uh, Tristan Katz, um, the trans yoga project. There's loads of resources out there, workshops, free stuff online. Um, so just understanding it doesn't have to be every single perfect detail of um, like every possible description of the acronym or different labels, but at least an idea of some of the main labels that are being used, a bit of an understanding of experiences of LGBT plus people um, and doing that work first. 
then from there, I've had a lot of people say, particularly because um, I teach a lot of sort of pregnancy and postnatal yoga, I've had people say, oh, well, if someone who was non-binary or a trans man was pregnant and came to my class, then I would change my language. And I think that's the wrong way around. I think because also you don't know, there may well have been someone in that pregnancy yoga class who is non-binary and hated all of the like mummy women language, but didn't feel comfortable saying it to you. So once you've kind of learned a bit about the community, then teaching as if there are always LGBTQIA plus people in your class. And then once you've done that, then you can think about in some way making it clear in your marketing or on your website that classes are inclusive. Um, and that might be things like ideally having gender neutral toilets, or if you don't, having somewhere that says specifically that people should use the toilets that they feel most comfortable with. Um, it might be having a space to put pronouns on an intake form or for someone to share their pronouns with you. It might be um, taking off the like male female tick box because why do we need to know that anyway um oh I, there's probably loads more things but those are the first that come to mind so all those that they're all really helpful things actually and i actually think they're going to be quite challenging for some people i know they sound small but i think they are going to be quite challenging um i've had this conversation in my yoga pregnancy training i remember having this conversation and I'd love your take on it. You know, some women who are pregnant, who are, I do identify as female, they want to be called mummy. And that's a big thing for them. And they want to, you know, they've spent all the, maybe they've been through IVF, maybe four rounds, you know, they've, and suddenly they're pregnant and it's like their dream of being mummy and everything that is mummy related is like right there. And they want, they don't want you not to use that language. So how would you, because I know in my pregnancy class, I do try to use the word folks and don't make any assumption. Don't always remember, so I still get it wrong. But I'm also mindful, I think, oh, some of these women want to be called mummy, I'm pretty sure, because I hear them saying it themselves. So how do you navigate that language so that you don't offend anybody and don't exclude anybody? I think, well, firstly, I think, of course, I can see why some people want to use that language and that's um, really important and special and empowering for them. And of course they should. There is no one saying that we can't use the terms, terms like women or mum or breastfeeding, like all of these things should be used. So what I often start with, if I'm working one-to-one -one with a client, it's really easy. I ask them what language they want me to use and then I use that language, whether that's mum, woman, or if I'm talking about how they're going to feed their baby, or if I'm talking about the pelvic floor, what language do they want? And that's what I use. In a group class, it's always going to be a bit challenging because the language that one person wants is not going to be the same as what another person wants. Mm -hmm. So what I really like, and I think is slowly becoming the industry standard, is something called additive language. So rather than taking anything away, we're adding to. So you might hear people say pregnant women and people, or pregnant women and other pregnant people, or breast or chest feeding. And then that's language that honors what, what either person wants. What I also do probably more than anything is I avoid any of that language. So I'll say, rather than saying, oh, pregnant women might experience this, or pregnant people might experience this, 
because I'm talking to a group of people who are pregnant, I might just say during pregnancy, you might experience X, Y, and Z. And then there's no language in there that anyone's not going to feel comfortable with. Everyone, I'm, if you're in that class, at least happy that you're pregnant, that is hopefully empowering language. And um, honestly, most people don't notice. The people who it's important for will notice that you haven't said woman, but the women will not notice that the word woman was missed out. It's quite complicated, isn't that really? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think it's good. I hear what you're saying. I need to come and do your course. Um, it's it's that like, you know, it's bringing up some stuff for me. It's making me feel like, and I'm probably, I would hope to think I'm a very inclusive person. I'm just thinking, oh, I feel like something's being lost a little bit. But I think probably what's being lost is that sense of certainty about what was which actually needs to go because nothing's certain and what we had before didn't work because it was very exclusive and very white privileged and very all you know all of it it was not none of it's been healthy but there is I can feel inside me there's a little bit of fear no idea what it's about I can see you're gonna you're gonna tell me Gabby aren't you I can see <laughs> I was going to say, I mean, it's really important to honour that because it's true that nothing has ever been certain. There have been queer people having kids for millennia, but it, it wasn't talked about in the same way. People didn't know in the same way. Um, I think it's important to know that it doesn't change anything about your experience and also that it is OK that it's difficult and it can take time to make this language feel easy if you're used to always saying pregnant women pregnant women pregnant women it's gonna take time to practice that for it to feel easy and fluid just like if you're not used to using they them pronouns for one person that takes practice um, and that's why i say it's important to do this stuff make the changes first so if you're already doing this stuff in your classes and you slip up which we all do everyone you know says a weird thing now and again um you're you're doing that practice first before you start actively welcoming lgbtqia plus people into that space because the last thing you would want is to say yes this is a pregnancy class or a yoga class that is going to be welcoming and safe or safer for someone who's lgbtqia plus and then they come in and then on top of kind of coming in thinking it was going to be safe they're then hurt um but i think you know being with those feelings of yeah, what does it mean to you to change the language that you're used to and that being challenging? That's okay. Mm. I have a similar thing to add to that. Just so, you know, the way even we very first start a yoga class, how do you say hello to everybody? Do you say, morning, ladies and gentlemen? You use the slang, oh, morning guys. And they're all terms that actually are making other people who aren't a guy or a lady or a gentleman feel unwelcomed. I remember the first time I ever run my LGBT yoga group, the first word that came out of my mouth, bearing in mind I was sitting in front of, there was a group of seven or eight people four of those were trans women and I said morning guys <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like 
I've done the one thing that I really, really said I wasn't going to do. And then you get into this horrible place where you try and backpedal and it's like, oh, I apologise. And then some people are like, well, what are you apologising for? You just said morning. The, the trans people were que- clearly like, um, yeah, this isn't great, is it? <laughs> and I just I just owned up. I was just like, look, I'm sorry. I fucked up. <laughs> Let's start again. <laughs> morning, everybody. <laughs> But, it, you know, it's, it's really hard because it's changing language that we've had ingrained into us for so, 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 so long. And by making those subtle little changes, it can make a huge difference. It's that whole thing, Daniel, isn't it? It's like if we just put aside for a second the idea that we're thinking about a particular community and we just said we just we use invitational language, hopefully anyway, when we teach. So there's no let's make this shape, let's do this, or let's follow this breath, or let's take our awareness to this mantra, whatever it is we're choosing to do. We always invite people within the realms of what they're comfortable within, and hopefully give a few options. So in the same way, I guess, we wanna try to do that for the community. So we've had to learn over the years of teaching, because I certainly didn't teach that way in my early years, it was like, we're doing trikonasana and if you're not doing it right, I'm going to get a strap and a brick and get you up against a wall until you are doing the correct trikonasana. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't dream of doing that now, but that was kind of where it, where, where the practice was back then, you know, the first 10 years that I was teaching. Um, and over time, I've learned a new way. So I guess that was uncomfortable and I felt uncomfortable realizing that probably I made people feel pretty crap about themselves by standing them against a wall and like prodding at their hip going why doesn't it rotate what is wrong with your leg you know I mean not literally saying that but the inference was there by putting bricks there and getting a strap around their leg to roll out rather than just letting them be letting them like see that's what your body does and that's fine look it's good let's just like I'll invite you to do push through your feet and have a sense of your pelvis and I'll invite you to tune into your breath. That is so much more safe and inclusive than saying, let's get you a break. Let's move you to the wall as if there's something physically wrong with you. So I guess in that way, is there's a bit of a parallel? Would you, would you agree? Yeah, I think so. I think any change is difficult. Anything that you've been doing and then you realise that maybe it wasn't the best way to do that, that's hard. It's hard to know that that we've all caused harm and we will continue to cause harm. But I try to reframe it as exciting and empowering to know that I can do better and also that I can continue to learn to do better because I continue to make mistakes. And I guess as... Um as a community if we want our classes to be inclusive and everybody to feel safe in them we have to really consider all of our language and I, I think that's that is the most important thing isn't it that's that that we feel that the language we use when people are in front of us make doesn't make them feel excluded but that's the most important thing how would you handle it i'm just going off on a slight tangent here but how would you handle it what would you your recommendation if you have people in class who are homophobic or transphobic, I've had that in class before. I'm, I don't know that I dealt with it very well, but I did deal with it. How, how, what's your recommendation? How do we, how, how do you guys talk about this stuff? 
it's really hard um luckily it hasn't really happened to me and it doesn't happen to me now because it's so clear everywhere what I do and how I work that they're not going to come to my class which I'm very happy about um I think it depends how it comes out if I it's different if someone says something directly to my face to if I overhear something um the first thing I think about is who was harmed by that comment because I think that's the most important if no one's overheard it my response i'm not going to just ignore it but my response is different than if i can see immediately then let's say someone's been misgendered in my class um so if i can see that someone has been actively hurt in that moment my first thing is to check in with them and what they want me to do about it if there wasn't it was just directly to me or no one overheard it then it will be maybe a, a quiet word with that person if they're i mean i think it's probably less common now but if they're like a raging homophobe and just shouting slurs at everywhere i'm going to tell them they can't come back to my class what's more likely is it's little bits of that ingrained homophobia or transphobia that comes out in in misunderstandings or uncertainty and that's where i can step in with you know warmly with an open heart to share and educate rather than tell someone off unless I think they're actually being malicious, in which case I'll just tell them not to come back. It is it's difficult. I've had people in class be out, you know, verbally racist and homophobic and transphobic and make those comments. Because sometimes in those moments, pre and post class, there's lots of chat and it goes anywhere. The conversation goes anywhere. And I just always step in and just say, there's no space for that in this room and just shut it down. And, and if it comes up, if it comes back, I'll just keep repeating. There's no space for that conversation in this room. It's a safe space. And I, I don't know if that's the right way to handle it or not, but I have encountered that quite a lot. And I, and I, I think I am encountering as, as this becomes more and more prevalent in the yoga world as we're, and I'm, I'm really so thrilled that it is. These conversations are happening and I'm so thrilled that the work that both you and Daniel and other people are doing is such important work. We're here, we're hearing a lot of yoga teachers very uncomfortable. And I think they're uncomfortable in the same way that I'm saying, I feel fearful. I feel I don't quite know what it is I'm frightened of, but I think partly it's getting it wrong and <laughs> offending somebody. You know, it terrifies me. I'd hate anybody to be uncomfortable because of the language that I use. Um, but I, I hear a lot of fear and a lot of people not maybe some more so the old, older yoga teachers maybe my age and older who are like oh i'm an inclusive person i don't need to do anymore don't tell me what i need to do um because that means that they've got to address some stuff but daniel i can see you want to jump in i i think it goes back to the point gabby made earlier that we all need to do this work yeah. we're all we're all in some way or another systemically racist we're all in some way or another systemically homophobic or transphobic unless you happen to be born into a family <laughs> who has has parents or guardians that that bring you up in a way that that is and i hate to use these words but the norm or a norm <laughs> you know um it challenges us as individuals because it goes against what we're told 
within society, within all the different religions that sit around our society. You know, it, it takes a deep amount of work to really, really allow someone to say, I can be inclusive to outside groups or minorities, um, to groups that are misrepresented or unheard. Can, can you speak a little bit more about, just explain it in a little bit more about what you mean by we're all systemically racist? What exactly do you mean by that? We, so we are brought up in a society where white people are in charge and have been in charge for the large amount of our conscious history. So if you pick up a history book, you learn all about what the UK and Europe did to other countries. Yes, other countries are also invading other countries, but the dominant message within our history, within our learning, within our TV programs until much more recently was actually there's a dominant class of person. The top of the patriarchy is the white, straight, cis male. <laughs> the white cis woman sits underneath. And then from there, you know, there's sort of a hierarchy down. And we can't, to change that systemic um, trying to think of the right word. The, the, um, oh. I guess you're talking about to change what's inherent, what's inherent in society. Is that? Yeah, right? but it, it's almost like it's ingrained into yeah. us. It's, it's so hard to start to look at it because it makes you question every single thing about yourself. And, you know, we're told to fear anything that's different from us. And that, that, that fundamentally is ingrained within the children that we bring up, the people that we influence. We do it subconsciously or unconsciously. And that really is what, you know, systemic, any kind of... Um, oppression. Oppression. Thank you, Gabby. <laughs> is, you know, is about. And I think on top of that, there's an element of white supremacist work culture that has an element of perfectionism. And I think that's also drilled into us that you have to do things right. There's one right way to do it. And that's the way you have to do it. And if you don't do it that way, you're wrong or you're bad. So when we start to realize that maybe we haven't been doing things the best way, I think partly that's also where that fear comes out um, and that fear of getting it wrong. And sort of like, oh, once I open Pandora's box, then I know all the things that I've done wrong and I'm not a good person. Um, and I think that's also tied up in white supremacy that we're taught. Um, and I, I suppose my going back to your previous point, Dawn, all I say to people is you will get it wrong. You will make mistakes. I make mistakes all the time. I often say the wrong thing and have to go back and apologize or correct myself that is part of being human um so really the only guarantee in doing this work is that you will get it wrong i can't guarantee that you'll get it right mm, absolutely and do you know what the biggest thing i've learned through this whole you know the 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 the, the real kind of 
when we were in the pandemic and the Black Lives Matter movement exploded because of the events that happened in America. And subsequently now, you know, the, the queer voice has got so much stronger <laughs> because actually, you know, we've seen how we need to get more and more vocal to get our point across. And what I've learned is fundamentally, we can't turn to people who have been oppressed to learn from. We have to learn by ourselves. So we have to look at what we've done wrong and turn to the people that are publicly speaking out or putting things on Instagram or writing essays, writing books, right, producing TV programs. But we can't just turn to our queer friend or our black friend and say, well, how does that make you feel? Because then that is completely, you know, feeding into that whole thing around the supremacy of what we're trying to actually avoid. Explain, can you explain that a little bit more? Because I, I do ask quite often, is that wrong to ask? I want to know how people feel. I think as a, as a, as a privileged person, we mm -hmm. find it very easy to go to someone who maybe has been feeling oppressed by this whole system and say, well, how's this making you feel? What's this doing to you? With no consideration that that may trigger them to have to go and you know to 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 support themselves because they're having to explain to someone that fundamentally is looking like that person who may have caused harm in some way through decades and decades and centuries of of harm you know it's about using what's out there and learning from that rather right. than re-triggering or re-upsetting more people in the process so what you're saying is, sorry, I'll Gabby, I'll come to you in just a second. What you're saying is do your own research because there's research, there's stuff. So, you know, which I guess I do, actually. I read a huge amount of literature and books and studies, um, but not to just go and say up to somebody and say, oh, what's it like being a gay man in Southend? Tell me about Absolutely. it. I actually do some research yourself. I, I mean, I, I guess... How do you have sex? Who's the man? Oh, who's, who would who's say man that? Who's the woman? Thor, you are kidding I, me. I, I have that question all the time. From oh, me. my God. Only very recently have people stopped asking those questions. Wow. No one would dream of asking me how I had sex. Or if you were from my area of London, who's Arthur and who's Martha? <laughs> no. Oh, my goodness. And I think it's, I mean, there's so many more than that. The, oh, yeah. <laughs> like the the question of I had someone ask me, um, well, how how could you ever be in a monogamous relationship because you're bisexual? Mm, I, I was like, well, I, I'm attracted to people regardless of their gender. That doesn't mean I have to like be constantly dating people of multiple genders at the same time. I could do, but like I don't have to. Mm. Um, and I've heard from friends of mine who are trans that people ask them frequently if they've had certain surgeries what they have in their trousers if someone appears visibly gender non-conforming or what what are you then all the time and i think to kind of add to daniel's point i think it's a good rule of thumb to not go up and ask someone but it does depend on what your relationship with them is as to what is appropriate there is so much 
resource so many resources out there so much that you can do but also i think it's really important to pay the people who are doing that work so there's loads of free stuff you can read so much you know just on instagram but no one you're the only person benefiting from that whereas if you choose to uh, do a workshop with Tristan Katz, then an actual trans person gets paid for that work that they've done. So I think it's really important to find that balance that, that we should be learning. Of course, we should be learning about the LGBTQIA plus experience from LGBTQIA plus people, but we should be paying them for that privilege. Yeah, I, to I totally get that. Go, I still can't go over. People ask you how you have sex. Oh my God. That's mental. What we've just got married and we've already had people asking us how we're going to have children and like, oh, well, are you going to ask this person for their sperm? Wow. Well, firstly, we only got married two minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> And wow. like the equivalent would be going up to a cishet couple and saying, well, what, what position are you going to be, you know, what position are you going to do when you have, try and conceive? You're going to try doggy style. You're going to like, no one would ask that. But for some reason, because we're a queer couple, they could ask whose sperm we're going to use. Gosh. I'm a little bit gobs. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, apart from anything else like who wants to know what anyone else is doing in the bedroom like seriously if you're that interested go watch some porn <laughs> there's, there's, there's something quite unusual about being a queer person and I would suggest many many cis heteronormative people feeling like your life needs to be validated by them and they then have access to much of your personal experience because they feel the need to want to ask you the amount of times i've been in a party or you know at a social event and someone's first said oh you're gay oh that's all right with me well wow. i didn't ask for your validation jesus <laughs> and then they want to know about who you have sex with or how you have sex that's quite a standard conversation I would suggest happens. Oh, that makes me, all that makes me very uncomfortable. Yeah. And if that happens to you as, you know, a cisgender white gay man, what's happening to, you know, the trans people of colour? Mm. Like, I've heard a few things, but that's not my experience. I can't speak to it, but I can imagine some of the awful stuff that happens on a daily basis. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, for me, I, I, there, there are some absolutely amazing trans people of colour, particularly on Instagram, who I would recommend following because they are very able to express the trans experience from their perspective in a way that is very measured. Um, I, I, I can never remember Alok's surname. Menon. Menon. Thank you. But Alok. I love Menon, you, Alok. I would suggest following Alok. Um, amazing. amazing, amazing work. Amazing. Groundbreaking. <laughs> we need to get. We need to get their book. It's amazing. You have it. 
got it here somewhere. I listened to the audiobook, <laughs> which was also amazing because I got to hear it in their voice. Mm. Um, and I, I just, I listened to it twice back to back just to absorb it all. It's beautiful. The language, I mean, their language is just off the charts. It's just incredible. Mm -hmm. I'm going to just pull things back just a fraction. I want to speak just a little bit more about, okay, so we're, we're speaking about the LGBTQIA plus community within the world of yoga. You spoke earlier about the colonization of yoga or, um, and how white people have kind of taken over yoga. Um, I, I agree, you know, I kind of think that has happened, but I also question whether what we, uh, uh, here's the thing, I feel like we have a right to practice yoga as white people, we have a right to teach yoga as white people, you can feel free to correct me if you all disagree with me, of course, um, well, I doubt you do, because you're both white and you're both teaching yoga, um, I think, I don't, I think a lot of what we see in the world purporting to be yoga is not at all, it's just business, um, it's jumped on the bandwagon and is, you know, making a bit of money out of what they consider to be to be yoga and they like the fact that it's coming from southeast in east asia it's a bit they feel like it's got something kind of like a bit romantic about it um and they buy into that whole you know if you do yoga you know you're gonna look like a swami sitting on a rock or something ridiculous so i mean what i'm what i'm saying to you guys is how do you how do you see that we have, we can um, make sure that we stay authentic and inclusive and not, you know, be in a place where we are, you know, sort of saying yoga's ours and we're white and we've got it, we've got it right, we've nailed it. Don't know if I'm explaining myself very well. Yeah, it's something that I've been thinking about and, and trying to work on kind of in the last couple of years. Um, and I haven't really necessarily got any answers and probably just more questions. I think firstly, I don't have a right to say whether anyone should or shouldn't be teaching yoga. Um, I think that as a white person teaching yoga, I am doing harm and also I'm doing a good thing. And that's a really hard balance to know that I, I'm trying to, I, I want to teach yoga as part of a, um, a part of trying to make the world a better place. And me teaching yoga does that, and me teaching yoga also causes harm, and that's challenging. Um, I think something that I've been trying to do more and more is, well, and I think I've always done, is try to bring in all aspects of yoga, um, rather than what can become just an, an asana class that is really just gymnastics. Um, and to learn from teachers with indigenous knowledge. So to tie it into kind of supporting the LGBTQIA plus community as well, in the mentoring course that I run, uh, the last time I ran it, Pooja Rani did an amazing workshop about the history of LGBTQIA plus people within yoga, within Hindu mythology, within Southeast South Asia. And that was completely eye-opening to me to show to see that within yoga there is this huge tradition of queerness of um gender diversity um and that and that has been hugely whitewashed out of yoga because we still see yoga through this very white colonial lens 
Um, so I love that unpicking that colonization is also uncovering more queerness. How on earth are you doing harm by teaching yoga? Explain that to me. Um, I don't have indigenous knowledge as a South Asian person. And there's a lot of yoga that connects to different traditions and religions. Um, and so there's probably there's a few ways. One way would be that I'm getting at this job at a yoga studio because um, I'm I look in for all intents and purposes like the yoga stereotype. I'm white. I'm a young woman. I'm quite flexible. I'm not the skinniest. I've got some squidge on me, but pretty much, which means often potentially I could be hired over an Indian or South Asian yoga teacher who has more um, indigenous knowledge. Um, when I teach yoga, I do my best to learn the Sanskrit, to bring in aspects of philosophy. But I know that I've learned these things as an adult. Then it's not part of my um, the language that was used when I was a child. Um, so when I pronounce Sanskrit words, I probably pronounce them a little bit wrong. When I talk about aspects of yoga philosophy, I probably don't talk about them. I, I often talk about them, how they make sense to me. And I'm realizing more and more that how they've made sense to me is lovely, but isn't necessarily how they were always meant. Um, and I think it also I'm part of an, a huge, you know, multi-billion pound industry that means that even in India, the white yoga teachers get paid more wow. than the Indian yoga teachers. Wow. How, why? Because uh, white supremacy that actually we've, because of when, well, my understanding is that when the British colonized India, part of that was saying that we are superior mm. and that has lingered. Um, so there's still, even within India, for some people, this sort of feeling that there's there's still that element of white supremacy and that white people should be paid more. Um, and there's also this sort of big yoga tourism industry of white people going over to India in some way wanting this authentic experience, but not actually necessarily wanting to learn from actual Indian yoga teachers. So what you're saying effectively is that because perhaps this isn't sort of your background as you weren't brought up in an Indian household, it isn't your, you're not Hindu, you're not, um, you don't have the language. And I certainly understand what you're talking about, the philosophy, living and reading it are two entirely different things. So, but I, I would counter this, um, being a little bit controversial, by saying that you're aware, so you're not harming anybody because you have an awareness. But it takes you back to that systemic thing, doesn't it? You're doing harm without even realising that you're doing harm. And I suppose what Gabby's trying to say is, you're 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 trying to take that step back and look at the wider picture and realize yes what i am doing is harming some people but offering support to others and it's so comp this is why it's so complicated <laughs> you know looking at anything that's systemic is that you really really have to keep unpicking and unpicking and going into those really 
dirty and horrible places within all of our histories and all the things that we've done as individuals to be able to start to realize that this world very is unbalanced <laughs> you know we live in a we live in a world where there's all unfortunately there's always going to be someone that's in charge of someone else and that changes depending on countries depending on sexes depending on relationships depending on so many different things but I think for me ultimately it's about trying to be aware I, I realized I'd never been taught yoga by an Indian or South Asian teacher so I've changed my whole teaching panel now I'm trying as much as I can do like Gabby is to have teachers who have a heritage within Southeast Asia. I think that's a really good idea. I think I'm going to do the same thing, Daniel. I might try and find a, a teacher from that heritage to do a weekly class with. That sounds like a great idea. I'm gonna I'm gonna also put the put the um, spoke in the wheel again by saying, and I might be completely wrong, but I need to clear my head for this. Like say um uh Indian person developed a, a system of medicine or something and then they developed it to such a point and then people from say America or France got involved to help help them or they took the learning that they'd got and they built upon it are they doing harm to that person by developing something because I don't know that an idea or a belief system can be harmed by other people being involved it just doesn't sit right with me it's it's hard to say because that's not a deep like there could be a way of doing of that situation where of course it's helpful to have more people helping but of course that there's it's really common that someone develops an idea someone else steals it markets it better and makes all the money and then the person who had that original idea is left without anything um so i think yes i think that can absolutely do harm of course there are ways to do it that wouldn't but we're already talking about a system that is hundreds or thousands of years old and has a lot of history that me being a nice person doesn't undo all of that history and as we're experiencing right now there's as much harm that's been done within south asian yoga teaching communities as there are there, there is being done within many of these particularly male western yoga teachers who are being exposed for you know sexual deviance power control um money control you know and sexism you know it's it's across the board unfortunately and you know the more we look the more we're going to find out how grotty and uncomfortable these things are but then out of that there's these teachings that in their essence and we all have experienced this. We've found ways for it to comfort us, support us, and make us feel connected with ourselves and ultimately with others. And ultimately, I think, hopefully, sorry, ultimately, hopefully, that connection that we get from our practice helps to dissolve barriers between people and develop just love, not to deny somebody's culture and tradition and belief system Absolutely. and history, yeah. but yeah. to learn to understand it and 
be kind to each other within it. I just guess I, I struggle a little bit with this whole, and I've got something I've got to understand more fully, this whole thing of, you know, white people have stolen yoga. I get it, I get, but I, I, don't, I don't see, and maybe I'm being ignorant, I don't see what I offer is being a Lululemon experience <laughs> on any level whatsoever. You know, I, no one would come to a class or workshop with me because they, you know, they wanted to do a traditional stand in your head yoga class. It's not what happens, it doesn't happen in the room. I'm sure it's faulty in many ways, but I, you know, I, I would say that if you went to India, you go into a class, you're gonna get all sorts. You're gonna get Lululemon classes and traditional classes. I don't know that it's to do with the color of my skin or where I live in the world. But that, again, that might be my ignorance and I'm prepared to be shown that. I would recommend kind of learning from the South Asian and Indian yoga teachers who are specifically talking about this stuff because I have a bit of understanding and I'm, but I'm still learning and, um, you know, listening to the Yoga is Dead podcast, doing, I think Pujavrani does workshops, Anjali Rao does workshops, Susanna Bakataki does workshops. Um, there's, again, like, just like with all the LGBTQIA plus stuff, there's so many places that you can learn. And, um, you know, I'm sharing my, what I've learned and my opinion, but that um, you've, you can do your own uh, research and education and find how it sits for you. Yeah, and you, you, that's absolutely right. I have to go away and do my own research. I find this conversation really interesting because it's like really showing up my ignorance as usual <laughs> yet again. <laughs> well, I think, you know, from the way that our podcasts are going, because we've touched upon it with Tracy Stanley, you know, we talked about the, 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 the abuse of, of Rod Stryker or what Rod Strike has done to, you know, many of his students and how that's all unvolving. And I think actually it warrants us to maybe bring some people in who are able to talk about this stuff so we can start to explore it and learn from people who firsthand have experienced, you know, and I, and I, and I agree with Gabby. I think, you know, maybe we reach out to, to, those, to those yoga teachers who are really able to, you know, give give their point of view because it is their heritage and to be able to speak in that way so yeah speak from a place of knowledge i mean it's, it's it's been really interesting this week since since that podcast with tracy stanley there's been i've had two articles forwarded to me one about deepak chopra who's now embroiled in horrific abuse scandal which i'm not surprised one bit about and within jivamukti one of their senior teachers who you know they they're, they've been silenced and there's a lawsuit and it's it is horrific and that was a female within the um i don't know why i said it's a shock females can be just as abusive um within that and it, it is everywhere it is everywhere but i think i want to just say that whilst we're hearing that you know within the world of yoga that there is this dark side there's also incredible light and beauty and actually look at what we're doing we're sitting here putting time aside to try and ensure that we can open up our world and our community in a more inclusive and loving way and it's not to point a finger it, you know we're not saying to teachers or to students you know that they're doing anything wrong it's just like well look this veil has been pulled back and this is what we're seeing and this is how we can you know develop our our uh, community even further So I, I guess we should round up. We're getting to the, that time, aren't we?
everyone's gone very quiet. I think we may have had a Zoom moment. <laughs> We're back. We're back. There you go. So, Gabby, a question we always ask everybody. With all this work that you're doing, how do you take care of yourself? <laughs> mm. um, my self-care has actually really changed. I had a an injury a couple of years ago and I've been um, experiencing quite a lot of persistent pain from that. And that had a huge impact on my self-care and my yoga practice. So I've learned a lot about pain science, which is a whole other topic, which is hugely fascinating, which has really helped. Um, and now my own kind of practice looks like restorative yoga, kind of lifting heavy weights <laughs> um, and uh, trying to find the balance of, I suppose it's that work-life balance of all the things that I want to do and also just having time out and time off that really for years I just never did until I was in a significant relationship and I was like oh actually I really want to spend time with you um so even just yesterday I taught a class in the morning and one of my friends was teaching a class an hour later and I really rarely go to other people's yoga classes but I really fancied it um and so in the hour in between I sat out in the sun and had a cup of tea and a chocolate cookie and then I did their yoga class and then I walked home. And then when I got home, I had loads of work to do, but just having that little bit of time and ultimately doing less, um, cause I can be a bit of a go, 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 hundred percent person. So giving myself permission to do less. Beautiful. What a great piece of advice. I think we could all take away with us. <laughs> um, Gabby, thank you. Firstly, for introducing me to so many other amazing queer yoga teachers, including yourself. I'm eternally grateful and I'm really, really, really happy that you could be here today and hopefully share this message further with other people. Well, thank you so much for having me and yeah, also for being on this journey with me, because we've done a lot of it together, which has been amazing. Um, yeah. And it's really beautiful to see it growing and, and spreading. I couldn't agree more. Dawn, thank you so much for your time and your, as always, pertinent and educated questions towards us, <laughs> your inquisitive mind. <laughs> Display my deep ignorance on a weekly basis. <laughs> It's what we're here to do, isn't it? It's love. <laughs> oh, dear, yeah. <laughs> so thank you so much. Until next time, please do let us know if there's anything that came up for you in this conversation. I dare say maybe one or two things might have come up. So let us know the feedback. Um, if you have subjects that you want us to talk about or maybe people that you would like us to interview, then please do let us know. You can leave us a review on the Apple podcast app um and until next time thank you so much for listening thank you gabby thank you thank Dawn. you